What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. So, man, so many things to recap over this past weekend, or week for that matter. Uh, Toronto Raptors winning four straight to end the series against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, First NBA Finals appearance in franchise history for the Toronto Raptors. Kawhi Leonard doing his thing. Phenomenal. Just outstanding performance by that dude. Like, it's crazy just to see him become, I don't want to say full circle because he's still young, he's still in his prime. But the fact that, you know, eight years ago, seven years ago, he came into this league, uh, drafted by San Antonio, and you start to see glimpses of how greatness he was about to become. As soon as they won the 2013 NBA Finals against the, uh, or, yeah, 2013 or 14 NBA Finals against the Miami Heat, he became the Finals MVP, and the rest was history. Now, I know I've gone on record before, and I bashed him a lot, and truth be told, I still kind of stick with that somewhat of a stanza, I guess you can say, more of a, let me re- reword that, I I stand by for what I said, but for what he's done and what he's been able to accomplish with that team, you know, at best, when your second best player is a Kyle Lowry, who's inconsistent and not known to be, you know, the guy to lead the way, to lead the charge, especially when he's with DeMar DeRozan before he went to San Antonio. It's just, man, I said before, you know, when they went down 0-2, uh, you know, I still had faith in Toronto. I think they still have a shot. And I did not expect them to close it in six, to be honest with you. I thought the series for sure was going to go in seven um, after they went down 0-2. But, man, just the – it's just crazy just to see a guy like that, you know, rally his team, his teammates, the coach – and get the crowd behind them, especially, you know, when you have a big supporter and one of the biggest rap artists, you know, of this generation and Drake leading the charge. And, you know, I don't think I can't remember my early predictions, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect the Toronto to make it to the finals this year, to be honest with you. But with that being said, I mean I still stick with my original prediction, as I said about a week week or two ago, that I, I still think Golden State takes it regardless. They'll take it in six. Toronto will give them a hell of a ride. And then uh, we'll see where we go from there. You know, the question is, will Kawhi stay or leave? And supposedly, and supposedly you know, after they won, you know, the conference championship, there's a leaked video of one of his family members, I believe his sister or aunt or whoever it was, you know, saying in the background, like, you know, that he isn't going to be here long before the video ended up getting deleted. So we all know, especially during an age like this and social media, very popular, whether the Twitter, the Facebook, the IGs, etc. If you upload a video, especially someone along the likes that you related to someone as famous and as you know as great as Kawhi Leonard is and your relative and you load that up that you know it's gonna spread like wildfire like regardless you know what the family says and it's it's hard because Kawhi's kind of timid which there isn't anything wrong so you don't know you're not gonna get a gist from him he's not gonna say a whole lot he's not gonna leak you anything uh, so supposedly he's out of Toronto, but the, but by all means, this is all speculation. We still don't know where he's going to end up. So he could stay in Toronto. He could shock everyone. I feel like that'd be of a shocking thing if he stays in Toronto. You know, what happens if they somehow do pull off this major upset against Golden State? So, but regardless, I mean, 
truth be told, I mean, he, I mean, even if he does leave Toronto, his the fans really can't be mad at him. I mean, look how he took him to their first franchise NBA Finals appearance. So, I mean, unless, you know, a great player like this that made so much, you know, noise in Toronto, as far as I can uh, remember, was Vince Carter during his early days in Toronto. Uh, during the early 2000s, he was the guy to go to, but he could never lead the charge or lead a team like this. You know, Vince, he, he was a top-notch scorer, but he wasn't so much as the defender as Kawhi. He, him being as great as he is, he showed it in this series. You know, when you when you guard someone along, along the likes of a Gian, Giannis, you you guard a guy who's shooting about I don't know 52 55 percent from the field in the regular season and then whenever Kawhi guarded him he was only shooting 35 percent especially I mean Giannis is most likely to win the the uh, NBA MVP this year so um I wouldn't say it's a guarantee, but from speculation and just observing from afar, I believe that's what's going to happen, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, he kind of did what Kawhi did. He didn't. Supporting cast was there, but I mean, if you want someone that's a second, you know, uh, a second superstar or someone to rely on, then especially in this day and age of basketball where everyone is collaborating, I mean, that's kind of what you need. You know, and so Chris Middleton isn't exactly someone to rely on. He can be a little bit more consistent compared to Kyle Lowry, but someone to rely on, you know, uh, every Batman needs a Robin. So those guys aren't exactly Robins. They're not exactly uh, LeBron James, D Wade, or a Paul Pierce, KG, or hell, they even, you know, they could rely on Ray Allen. During those times, you know, in the mid-2000s, or late-2000s, I should say, during the Boston era. Um, you know, every every great superstar has that one guy that'd be able to get him out of a hole when they're in a slump. And it happens. Every superstar has, you know, a slump where they'll shoot 6 of 20 from the field. But they'll have their second-in-command, you know, be able to uh, pick up the pace for them when they're tired or whatever it may be. I mean, hell, Kawhi Leonard played 53 minutes in game five, I believe. So, I mean, it's it's exhausting. But the fact that they were able to end the series in six, that gives them a couple more extra days of rest and, you know, start getting a game plan going against Golden State. I mean... I don't know how you get a game plan like this, especially a dynasty team like Golden State, who's made five consecutive finals now and won three of them, possibly could be four. So when you have a team like that and that kind of chemistry from experience and veterans that have been there before compared to you know these guys being all new, fresh faces on the NBA Finals court, that's that's a tough game plan to get going to get an idea so kudos to Toronto you know respect to them but man that's it's it's one here it's one thing to climb a hill down 0-2 against Milwaukee but this is a mountain against Golden State and yeah if they go 0-2 to start out the series again against Golden State, then that's a sweep. There's no way. Maybe squeak out one game, but going down 0-2 against someone along the likes of Golden State, that ain't uh, winning four consecutive ain't gonna happen. That's for sure. So, like I said, I think it'd be six games at best. So, but Golden State, that's that's a mountain to climb, man. Even if Kevin Durant does return from in- injury. I don't, by the way that looks of it, I think Kevin Durant's injury is a little bit more serious than we think, but I mean, since he sat out the entire series and they swept Portland, you know, obviously it wasn't too urgent. They didn't really need him. 
And Golden State looks like the Golden State of 2014. You know, pre before KD got decided to take his ta- talents to Golden State. So I mean, I don't know. It's that's a tough that's a tough mountain to climb. Golden State's just man, they're on another level. I said before, Golden State's like you know, it's like when Alabama was making their little dynasty run a couple years ago. When the national titles, there was, you know, for college football, there was Alabama and then everyone else in Division One. This is Golden State and then everyone else in the NBA. So it's just that kind of thing. And it's not a bad thing. Dynasties, you know, they're, they're truth be told, they're fun to watch. Whether, because we all know, like, you know, you watch them because you want to see them lose. And that brings ratings, that brings speculation, it brings excitement, brings joy. We all like to see a dynasty fall, one way or another. But, I mean, man, someone like Golden State, five years running now, dominating between the 2010 and 2020 era, which is odd to say. But, it's, man, this kind of dynasty, it's it's phenomenal. It's just like our New England Patriots past 20 years now ever since Brady entered the league basically back in 01 you know once Drew Bledsoe got hurt Brady got the starting position once he got hurt and the rest was history and now they got what you know six Super Bowls and nine Super Bowl appearances so it's just we all we all like to thrive and be able, you know, just to watch a team lose that we absolutely positively hate. So, but regardless, I mean, man, Toronto, kudos to them. I'm, I'm happy for Toronto, something like that. And they haven't been in the league that long. Maybe over 20 years, a little bit, give or take. But either way, man, I mean, it's, it was cool. It's cool to see, you know. But, man, Golden State, they can just get hot whenever. With Milwaukee, there was really just Giannis. That's, that was the main focus. Any, anyone else that got hot on that team, you really, they, you didn't have to worry too much. I mean, in Giannis, you know, he put up 21, 11, and 4, game 6. Middleton at 14. Lopez, 18, and 9. But... For the most part, I mean, these are all big men. That's the problem. So, in an era of, you know, big men being able to be more versatile instead of backing down like the Shaq or Duncan or David Robinson or Kareem days, that's, you know, times are different now. Forward, centers, they're starting to rejuvenate their game. You know, a lot of you see young, some of these guys, you saw a glimpse of it with Dirk Nowinski when he came into the league. Overseas player, you see the 6'10", 6'11 guy shooting a three. You know, it's it was it was new, it was special, it was cool to see. It was eccentric. So, but as far as building a team around them, I'm not saying it's not possible. It's really not the number one plan, I guess you could say, when it comes to building around a team. Like if you had a fantasy draft, I mean. Say if you take 10 people and who's willing to draft Shaquille O'Neal, number one, would they do it? As him being as one of the most dominant forces in the NBA, do you really, you know, especially in this era? Back then, perhaps, yeah, 20 years ago, no doubt. But now, you know, when basically almost every team is, you know, it's a shooter's league. The little, you know, tall, lengthy point guards, shooting guards, whatever. Or shooting the three. That's the trend. That's the thing. That's the style. It's just a different game nowadays. So, so Kawhi finished 27 points, 17 boards, 7 assists. Pascal, he did his thing. 18 points, 4 boards. Lowry, 17 points, 5 boards, 8 assists. And... What what was phenomenal about this game is that they were. <clears throat> it was you, you got to think like there was a time where 
not only were they being down 0-2, but there was also, you know, a few games where Milwaukee go on a rally, 10-12-0 run, and be up by that much, 15 points, whatever, and they just blow it. So I think I I hate to ride on the bandwagon, and I'm really not going to ride it. But, you know, a lot of the main focus today was Giannis, you know, what happened? You know, what's going on? You guys were up 2-0 in the series and then just seen everything just fell apart. So, and Giannis, you know, he's he's about five, six years in. So he's got some experience, but this was all new. He never made it this far. Like I said, he's a big man. So they need someone that, you know, that, that they can rely on consistently. Chris Middleton can be here and there. I mean, game game uh, five, he was he was solid, 30, 30 points. But he needs that on a consistent nightly base, nightly basis. Not thirty points, but someone that can put up twenty, twenty five, dish out seven, eight assists. So someone like you know possibly a Kyrie Irving, or maybe possibly a Kemba Walker. Now, by all means, I'm not making assumptions here that they're gonna go out there go out in the offseason and start recruiting them, but it's just prime examples. And as I said before, and I've been saying it forever, I th- I truly believe Kyrie Irving and um, Kevin Durant are going to New York. They're going to join the Knicks, and they're going to do their little thing. And me being a LeBron James fan, a lot, a lot of hardcore LeBron James fans, you know, they want Kyrie. And there's rumors that, you know, LeBron's already recruiting him and possibly Kawhi and a few others in the offseason to come join him in L.A. But as far as I know, from what I've read, Kyrie, he's, you know, they settled their, he, he settled their differences with LeBron earlier this year, you know, but that don't mean they're having a reunion. So, and I think it, you know, it's... It's kind of an ego or prideful kind of thing, too, because it would be like Kyrie's just like, uh, I need you so I can be able to, you know, win another championship. I think that's not so much that. So LeBron needs Kyrie as much as Kyrie needs LeBron. But now, I mean, Kyrie just really needs another superstar. And that Kyrie doesn't want to go to someone who's aging like LeBron, who's going to enter his 16th season. So... With that being said, and I know I sound like a broken record because I said this in a couple of my ep- episodes before, LeBron's going to have a tough offseason. It's going to be a tough transitioning to be able to acquire, you know, some some type of talent that's along the likes of Kyrie Irving. Who could he get? Like I said, at worst, possibly Campbell Walker or maybe Clay Thompson. But if Golden State wins another championship, like uh, I don't see a reason why Clay will leave. Because if Clay and Steph and Draymond they'll stay, KD will leave. I don't see why not. They can run this league for another four or five years. But either way, I think Clay kind of wants to run his own show as well. He wants to do his own thing, but who knows? Because we all know when it comes to spinoffs, sequels, TV shows, movies, it don't matter. They don't always end that well. It was like uh, anyone that's ever watched that 70s show. I watched a few episodes. It was okay. I was never really intrigued by it. It wasn't really one of my favorite shows, but it was popular. I mean, hell, it lasted about eight, nine seasons. And then they did a spinoff called That 80 Show, and it flopped. I don't think they even finished the season, to be honest with you. I think they did five, six episodes in, and that was it. Or another example would be like Saved by the Bell. And if anyone remembers Saved by the Bell, kudos to you. So I'm pretty old. I'm pretty old. I'm not old. I'm... I'm in my mid-20s, but there's a lot of things a lot of people don't know know about their early 90s, late 80s shows. Saved by the Bell. 
You know, they lasted a couple seasons. And then they just did a spinoff of uh, Saved by the Bell of the College Years, which actually wasn't bad. They did one, two seasons, and then they were done. The cast wanted to do their own thing. But then they did Saved by the Bell as some kind of other spinoff of the new class, and it was just, it was bad. So, now by all means, I'm not disrespecting Clay, but... I think he's going to realize running his own show is going to be a lot tougher than he thinks if he does decide to go somewhere else. If he wants to go to L.A., okay, it won't be as tough to play with LeBron. But if you want to go somewhere else and be the guy, the go-to, the spotlight on, he's going to find out like Kyrie Irving. It's not as easy as everyone seems it to be. But... Again, this is still early. Hell, we still got the NBA Finals, which we got some time because that don't start until, I think, Thursday or Friday. So we got some days to kill. So either way, I mean, Toronto making history, phenomenal. Golden State making history, not shocking people, but still making history. I mean, five consecutive finals now, going for that fourth title. I mean, man, it's just a dynasty, a dynasty like this is just at the same time, you got to hate. You can't help what to hate, but at the same time, you got to appreciate because, I mean, the last time a team like this in the NBA made four consecutive finals, I think you have to go back to like the mid 60s of the Boston Celtics. And at that time, there were only like eight teams at the time. NBA was still becoming a big thing. It wasn't as popular. So... With Golden State, it's just, man, it's just, it's history all around. And people forget, I mean, there's a lot of dynasties that happen in, I mean, in the NBA. I mean, hell, you got the Lakers for a little bit prior to Golden State. Then, uh, you, uh, you had a few appearances by Cleveland and San Antonio. And then in Miami. So it's just, you know, we all know, I mean, for the most part, the 80s were three dynasties where it was Boston, L.A., and then it went from L.A. to Detroit, and then Detroit to Chicago, and then there was that little stint where Houston did it, and then Mike came back from baseball, did it again with Chicago, and then it it went back to L.A., so... And I get some people don't like dynasties or they hate seeing the same team over and over again. Man, people need to realize, like, this is, it's it's fun to watch. It's just, it's going to bring in ratings. So, especially with Toronto, so you're bringing a new crowd in. You're bringing in people that really don't pay that much attention to basketball. I don't know how popular basketball is in Toronto, but assuming that they don't have any major sports teams really Toronto I mean that's it's a pretty cool thing to see so you gotta get ratings from Canada so say what you want about dynasties say what you want about Kawhi or Giannis either way I mean the series is fun Golden State Toronto Giannis like I said I'm assuming he wins MVP I'll have him as my favorite to be honest with you and that's, you know, it's not taking anything away. Yeah, I mean, being up 2-0, that's, that's a tough thing to kind of get by. But he deserves it. No Giannis, Milwaukee ain't even close to making the conference championship. And then Kawhi Leonard, through all the bowl stuff, you know, all the bull jive that he's been going through, you know, with his drama in San Antonio. And as I said before, I criticized them for it because him being declared injury-free from the team doctors back when he was in San Antonio and basically, you know, refusing to play, it's just, it's just kind of a bad luck. So I'm at the same time, I got to be respectful of it because I hate. I hate telling people how they should and should not feel, you know, how they should feel in their body, physically or mentally. So as much as I criticize them and I really don't 
I really didn't think the injury was that bad. I think it was just a scapegoat to get out of San Antonio. I think he was just unhappy. I just wish he would have, you know, finished up or requested a trade. And eventually he did. So it's just, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard, he's, a, he's, he's, he's eccentric. Not in a bad way. He's just, he's very timid. He's quiet. And there's nothing wrong with that. He keeps to himself. If anything, I give him, you know, I give him more respect for that because I mean he's he's secluded nobody really knows him that well uh personally besides his family obviously so he he keeps he keeps a small circle which is you know I think key during this era social media in general it can be very toxic especially to an athlete or celebrity or whoever you know so and I don't know if Kawhi reads into it. I don't think he does because he, he, you don't get a reaction from him. And obviously, it doesn't affect his play. But when you guy guys got superstars like a Tony Brown or Kevin Durant, they're very you know they don't have that hardened skin. They get it, it it bothers them, keeps them up at night. But Kawhi Leonard, he's I mean, say what you want. Like I said, I gotta give you know credit where credit is due. He's He's done a phenomenal job in Toronto. Regardless where he decides to do in the offseason, since this is his final year in his contract, as a if you're a Toronto fan, you really can't be mad at him. I mean, you wish he'd stay, obvi- for obvious reasons. Uh, but, I don't know. If Toronto can give him a hefty offer, offer you know, and possibly, you know, give in to some demands that he wants, maybe he'll stay, but for the time being, hey, Toronto, Golden State, it's going to be a fun series, it's something new, seeing a new team besides, I mean, obviously Golden State, seeing someone new besides Golden State or Cleveland, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch, finally some something fresh in the NBA Finals, but With that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break. You are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. So about eight, nine days ago, give or take, I'm watching uh, UFC Fight Night. Main headline is Rafael Dos Anjos versus Kevin Lee. Now, Rafael Dos Anjos has been, the last uh, four fights he was tuned to, Recently moved up to welterweight. For those who don't know, welterweight is at 170 pounds. Prior to that, he was lightweight, uh, which is 155. And he was on a tear for a little bit. I don't know why he decided to move up weight, but um, so far it's been successful. Um, He recently became victorious against uh, one of my favorite fighters in Kevin Lee. Which is hard to watch because, I mean, he uh, submitted Kevin Lee in the fourth round. Late in the fourth round. Submission arm triangle. And that was it. So, with Kevin Lee, um, you know, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. People call him Motown Phenom. Went to Grand Valley State where he wrestled. Went 37-0 as a sophomore in wrestling. Um, he decided to call it quits and take his wrestling abilities and become pro in mixed martial arts. Kevin Lee, right now, he sits at 17 and 6. Um, his last four fights, he's he's one and three. He's on a two-game or excuse me, a two-fight losing streak, in which. Um, he made his welterweight de- debut against the Sanyos. Now, 
I don't know who's managing him or how this goes down technically when it comes to MMA. But I feel like there's partially I'm not I'm I'm not uh disregarding his performances or anything or giving him, him excuses for his losses. But uh I feel like there's kind of, some kind of mismanagement when it comes to the kind of, that kind of thing. Cause when you have a fighter like Kevin Lee, who's a phenomenal wrestler, and his striking, you know, for the most part, it's he's he's well in his prime. Hell, the dude is my age; he's 26. One, I mean, he he hasn't even peaked yet. He, I just don't get the thought process of moving up in welterweight and making your debut against someone like. Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, by all means, I got no issue with someone moving down or moving up in weight. But when you face someone that's 29 and 11, like Rafael Dos Anjos, and he's had experience fights of fighting at Walter Weight now, as as in Kobe Covington and Kamura Usman and Robbie Lar, those are some high-level talent guys. Not that I'm saying Kevin Lee is a high-level talent, but I would feel like it'd just be more appropriate for someone he could face, you know, that didn't have that much experience. Um, it's just it, it just seems eccentric and just displaced to put a young guy like that in the cage, and I don't know. With Desanos, I feel like you you turn the Madden difficulty from rookie all the way to all Madden after you win one game or two, or not even that. I mean, moving up in welterweight, it's like it's putting the difficulty on all Madden, fresh out the gate, not even on the controls yet. So I don't know what's at stake for him now. I mean, I hope he bounces back, whatever he decides to do. And I think he just needs to possibly switch training camps. Because, I mean, man, losing three out of the last four fights, that's tough. I mean, prior to that, he was very successful. I mean, for the most part, he's done UFC well. Very well. I mean, before you take out these last four fights, and he was in a five-fight winning streak. And, uh... He did get a shot at the interim lightweight championship. That was back in October 2017 against Tony Ferguson. And, I mean, he, he lost by submission, but still, I mean, he, he shows a lot of potential that, you know, he can be a future UFC champion one of these days. I hope he does. You know, I hope he bounces back, and I really, I really feel like he should train. He needs to, you know... He, he needs to go to a different gym, different trainers. He he exceeded his their you know expertise. I feel like, and he needs someone new, possibly Greg Jackson gym. You know where John Jones and uh, Holly Holm train at. That type of talent. That's what he needs, because that that's how good he is. But him, man, I mean. I'm not taking anything away from Desanyols because Desanyols, he's definitely a future Hall of Famer in MMA. And he's he's defeated guys like Robbie Lawler and Nate Diaz, so his resume is just phenomenal. The list goes on and on. But seeing Kevin Lee like that is just, oh, man, you're still, you're well in your prime. You haven't peaked yet. I feel like, I don't know, that fight was just kind of mismanaged. So... With that being said, I just, uh, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, I'm sure he'll go back to the drawing board knowing him. He's very, he's a very confident dude. And he's, I mean, Christ's sakes, he's built like a god. So he's chiseled. He he knows how to wrestle. I mean, 37-0 at Grand Valley State University. Granted, it's a Division II college school, but still, it's, it's impressive. But... Either way, I just hope, you know, he's able to switch camps or find new management or whatever it may be to have him find a better future. 
and it's not just him a lot of fighters you know whether boxing or MMA or whatever it may be experience this uh, and a prime example right now is BJ Penn um, I wish I, I don't get the thought process right now of why they continue to let BJ Penn fight when he hasn't won a fight in almost 9-10 years that last fight he won was against Matt Hughes and the knockout and that was, like I said, about 2010. And, I mean, you see a legend like that who, you know, back in the day, about 15, 14 years ago, he's one of the top three guys that drew numbers, drew attendance right next to Chuck Liddell and George St. Pierre. And then soon, a year or two, uh, Anderson Silva comes over from Pride from fighting over in Japan. And, you know, though there was your monument for a little bit of those four representing the UFC. They were fun to watch. But it's just, it's hard to see someone like BG Penn. In, he, he lost a couple of weeks ago against Clay Guida. And man, it just, I'm watching the fight and it's just like, he's just become a human body bag. Uh, I mean... He, he he used to fight a lightweight and welterweight, and then he moves down to featherweight, and he hasn't won a fight yet in featherweight at all in his career. He's, I mean, the last uh, seven fights, I mean, or last nine fights, he's won nine and one. Like I said, his last, his last W was back in November of 2010, UFC 123 against Matt Hughes. Auburn Hills, Michigan. That was that's how far we got to go back. I was, I was a senior in high school, so I just don't get why Dana White or his management, his team continues to let him fight. I mean, like I said, I was watching him against Clay Guida at UFC 237 about two three weeks ago, and he returns the lightweight, and he's. He didn't get knocked out or submitted. He lost by decision. But man, it's just he don't he doesn't have it anymore. And I don't know if he and I'm I'm not God and tell someone when they should and should not quit. But I feel like for him, like the writing is on the wall. I mean, you have. <laughs> I just don't. How can I say this? I just feel like his management, his team is doing him dirty. Like he's not. It's just. It's just dismaying all the success that he made prior to this. You know, at one time, you know, he was a UFC lightweight champion. At one time, he was, you know, he he was fighting George St. Pierre for the welterweight championship to become double champ. You know, so. It's just kids nowadays are going to look at this guy and they're like, you know, this guy was great. Like I said, he's become a, you know, he's become a body bag. I don't know why he's beating himself. He's continued to do this. I mean, 16, 14, and 2. 32 fights. I mean, I felt like his last official fight, it... It should have it should have been the Frankie Edgar fight. The third time they fought. Back in July 2014, uh, he was already... On the two-fight skid against respectable people. He's he lost to Nick Diaz and Rory McDonald. But, you know, when Frankie Edgar knocked him out, that should have been it. You know, Dana White should have, you know, be like, look, it's like, I appreciate everything you've done, but it's time to move on. I just don't get why, you know, he did that for Chuck Liddell, but he's not doing it for BJ Penn. So, I don't know... I don't know. I don't know the thought process beyond that, to be honest with you. So, I just, you know, with BJ Penn, he's, his, his legacy, I mean, people like me will remember it. Some people won't. His record isn't going to show that now. So, that's displeasing enough. But, it's just uh, someone... Like BJ Penn, it's it's hard to watch nowadays. Like Anderson Silva, I talked about. You know his his last fight, he he sh- he should retire. Um, his last good fight was 
well against Israel Adesanya. You know, uh, both of them, like I said, I call him Anderson Silva 2.0. And, you know, that was that was an entertaining fight because both of them, you know, kind of taunting here and there. But his last fight against, uh, I can't pronounce his name, Jared Carnier. I mean, he didn't even lose by a knockout. I mean, technically, it's a technical knockout, but it's when Anderson Silva, he was, you know, trading blows, and he steps back, and his leg gave out on him. I mean, that's it. I don't know the official report on him. It might have been an ACL tear, or but when you step back on your, one of your legs and you just collapse, like, dude, that, you know, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is, but that's just a sign, like, it's time to, time to hang up the gloves. As as great as Anderson Silva was, you know, some of these kids growing up watching it now, they're like, this guy was great. And it's just like people people forget how truly great he was. I mean, there was a time where he had the longest reign as UFC middleweight champion. I think he still holds that reign. It, it was one of the longest reigns in UFC history until I believe I want to say John Jones broke that reign, but I'm not too sure. But man, you know, he's. A guy that took out legends like Dan Henderson, Rich Franklin, not once but twice. Uh, Patrick Cote, Forrest Griffin, Damian Maya, Chael Sonnen, Vitor Belfort, Yushin Okami, Stefan Bonner. I mean, these these are all future Hall of Famers that Silva beat, whether by decision or finish. So it's just a uh, it's just a tough thing to watch see some of your favorite fighters or players and you see their skills diminish and you know it's just like oh, that's not them anymore so I feel like it's time for him to hang up the gloves just like BJ Penn you know but as I said before I'm not God I'm not to tell someone when they win and they shouldn't stop so but I feel like you know observing from afar and you're seeing this you're just like oh dude it's it's time to stop but Anderson Silva, he's definitely one of the top five greats of all time. No doubt. You know, it's just, I think people fail to realize, especially in this last fight, because he still sticks to his style of kind of like, kind of taunting. It's just the thing is, it used to work, but he's not quick anymore. He's not fast. Fighters can tag him now. And everything went downhill back in 2013, you know. You know, his his taunt all his taunting and how he would kind of move around and dance like Muhammad Ali in the octagon, you know, that all came to a stop once he lost to Chris Weidman. And he lost to him again. And there was a leg injury. And everything just went south after that. I mean his last eight fights is uh he's one six and one. So and it was he was entertaining, man. I mean, like I said, he would dance and taunt and had the the Bruce Lee shorts on with the yellow and black. And he that, that there's a reason why they called him Anderson the Spider Silva. It's because he he would literally you know just sit back in the cage, and then you know, kind of like point at his opponent and have them draw in and throw punches. He wanted he wanted the exchange and. Throw, throw some blows with you because he knew I mean his Anderson was when he was at his best and scary is when he was countering I mean he I never seen someone throw a counter punch and knock out that opponent like he did Forrest Griffin as he was stepping back I mean Anderson Silva was literally backing up as Forrest Griffin was charging throwing punches and Anderson Silva just moving backwards on his feet, throws one punch and knocked him out. Broke his jaw. But either way, I mean, it's just guys like that, it's uh they crash hard if they stick around the sport long enough. Don't matter what kind of sport. Mixed martial arts, NFL, Major League Baseball, Father Time eventually gets us all. But Either way, you know, wherever happens, I hope BJ Penn decides to call it quits. Same thing for Anderson Silva. And, uh, you know, just uh, ride off into the sunset. Enjoy your time. 
you've done more than enough for the sport and for the brand for that reason and for that matter but with that being said i'm going to take a quick little break and you are listening to engine reserve podcast Welcome back to Engine Reserve. This will be the final segment of the day. Oh, man. So where can I even conclude or start the conclusion of the Game of Thrones series finale? Now, truth be told, I know a lot of people are uh, pretty salty about it. I mean, the media went in on it. A lot of, A lot of my friends... For the most part, I loved season eight. If I have a scale out of ten, I give it an eight out of ten. Um, I agree, it was fast paced, um, but uh, how can I say this? It was uh, the 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 final episode was very anticlimactic. It was. You know, I I think the series, for the most part, I think a lot of writers, this was the whole point. It's like, no one was really going to be happy regardless. You know, I think everyone wanted Jon Snow to be the king, to be the guy to rule the realm. And obviously that wasn't so. And you make Bran uh, the, the king of all seven kingdoms. So, with that being said... I can understand the frustration. It's just like all these eight years of build up and that's what you give us. It was just like, I don't know. It's just like, eh, okay, I guess. Um, I don't know. Uh, I was kind of mixed on it too. I was just like, eh, okay. Um, they, even with, uh, Daenerys and John and John Kilner. Even I mean that hell that that was an hour and a half episode I think or somewhere around there and she got killed in the first 30 40 minutes like she didn't last that long in the episode really so it's just like I said it, the the season was fast paced I understood that but I enjoyed it but for this this kind of episode the final episode that was. To do Daenerys like that, I thought that was pretty dirty. Um, like I said, it was anticlimactic. It was like, meh. It was just, I don't know. It's just that uh, the series is phenomenal. It's one of the all-time greats. It would go down that. It's one of the best in history. But the ending, it's not going to, you know. Uh, it, like I said, it's mixed reviews. And it was just, it was meh. It was just, uh, you know, it's like, all right, we're naming Bran the king of all seven kingdoms because of, because of this. And with Tyrion's little speech, it's just like, eh, okay, I guess. I guess it pleases the audience a little bit. So, I don't know. Um, it definitely wasn't a series that concluded as well as like Breaking Bad. And the way Breaking Bad was able to conclude the series, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, they, I think a lot of people knew what was going to happen to Walter White, but at the same time, it was just how they're going to go about it. And they did, they did that perfectly. So with this, it was just like, I don't know, maybe this is how Dexter fans felt. Cause I never watched the show Dexter. Uh, I heard great things about it up until the, the series finale. And I guess a lot of viewers, a lot of fans of that show were pretty salty about that ending as well. Uh, I guess it kind of left it open-ended and it could have been done a lot better. So, from all the shows I've watched, I've never really felt displeased by any series finales. Um, Prison Break, that wasn't bad. They, you know, they concluded that series at the right time, you know. 
But uh, Game of Thrones, when you put that much time and effort watching all those episodes, it was just like, eh, yeah, the ending could have been better. But as a show in general, as a whole, phenomenal. Well done. I mean, there's a reason why they won God knows how many awards, this and that. <sighs> but it's just like, uh, it's just uh, the writers could have done better on this episode. The rest of the episodes I loved. I loved all of them. Uh, for season eight or uh, six episodes, the first five I loved. It was just the last episode. It was like, ah, come on. I was just like, okay, I guess. But the whole Jon Snow, you know, being the king and his mom was this or whatever. It was just uh, so basically his whole backstory was kind of pointless. So. But with that being said, um, <laughs> I don't know. It was just, uh, like I said, it was basically my reaction now. It was just like, eh, okay. But, you know, I mean, it does suck because there's no more, no more looking forward to Sundays uh, besides football, but that's not till fall. But Sundays as in like the show. So that's a bummer, but... Either way, I mean, the show, the, the action, the drama, the backstories, the eccentric characters, it, it, was, it was fun. It was cool. But with that being said, I um, hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And um, with that being said, I'm going to try and stay more relevant. I'm just, you know, like I said before, work, school, it never ends. But... I hope everyone has a great week coming up. Weather's starting to somewhat clear up. Still got, we're getting some rainy showers right now, but I love rain. But with that being said, I hope everyone has a great week and I will talk to y'all later.